welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor. This is a weekly podcast for the Irish community here in Sweden or anybody who has anything to do with the Swedish Irish community at all, even the people in Ireland from uh, Sweden. We, we include them as well because we're being good about it these days, lads. I hope you're well. I'm loving user Instagrams. Despite the crappy weather and that, you are doing all manner of brilliant things on Instagram there. I'm seeing weddings and birthday parties and people on beaches in Cork and all sorts of finery and down in Rome and Italy, Kevin Carroll and the whole Cardinal clan down there. And there's all sorts of brilliant things going on. It's great to see, despite the, the poor old weather. But I believe we're in for a good week of it here in Sweden and that's no bad thing because there's a few events coming up lads the old Gaelic football is starting up again and uh, on the 19th next week next Saturday as I'm recording this there will be a GEA day with the Swedish Irish Society at Scarpneck's EP and I want you to get down there if you can because there's going to be Gaelic football there's going to be four teams of seven taking on one another in a blitz there and uh, there's going to be an elk, uh, the Camogues are going to be getting out there they're heading off to the Hague uh, in the first week of September so there's a few of us getting together to give them a little bit of opposition there as they get their first taste of combat for some of the girls there so uh, that's going to be a bit of crack as well and then after that there's a few of us going out and volunteering at Midnight's Luppet which is taking place on Souther we tend to do that every year as a bit of a fundraiser for the club uh, so if you can get involved in that please do let me know because we're always looking for volunteers I think we get about three or four hundred crowns ahead so it's like free money for the club so if you're loafing about on Saturday and I have heard now I can't confirm this lads right but I have heard that people have been known to go for a drink afterwards and have a bit of crack a certain person went for a drink during a one year but they shall remain nameless um, I hope you're all well we're at the time of the year where things are getting back to to normal in inverted commas because as I tend to say there's no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad and certainly not in our community but the schools are starting up again so a lot of you who are teaching will be heading back to the grindstone now on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday this week and then the kids will be back and Jesus then it'll all go to pot um, people are going back to work and that and maybe they might have saved up a week at our holidays if you're smart now and you had the chance uh, to sort of cut your holiday short and go back to work if there was work to do for you because the weather hasn't been great at all you know but it is a time of change uh, and indeed today I'm only just back from Lynn Shopping because my eldest daughter is starting university down there so if you're listening to this in Lynn Shopping or if you're a student who's coming over on Erasmus and going to Lynn Shopping lads get in touch because we've a great idea to get in touch with all the Erasmus students the Irish Erasmus students that come over right and try to get them to sow the seeds of Gaelic football maybe a bit of hurling as well in the university universities right and then when they go back hopefully we'll have Swedish people there who'll hold on to the games right so that's the idea now so if you're living anywhere near a university or if you're working in a university if you're in Uppsala or if you're in Örebro or if you're down in Gothenburg or if you're down in Malmö we've loads of academics lads loads of clever people knocking about here hey who'd buy and sell the likes of you and me right if you're working in the universities if you could get in touch or give us the contact details for the Erasmus program coordinators and uh, just pass on the message that we have the Irish community here. We have a, a strong tradition of Gaelic games going back nearly more than 15 years in, in the in the region. And we'd love to get them involved. But look, as I say, it is a time of change. And the biggest and perhaps saddest change, if you like, uh, for this community is the fact that last Friday was the final day for Ambassador Austin Gormley as Ireland's ambassador to Sweden. So he has now moved off uh, down to South Africa. Flo- flew down to Pretoria, I think uh, it was either late Friday or early on Saturday and he has a new job lined up down there 
Um, so we, he was one of the first people, if not, I think he might have been the very first guest that we had on this show uh, going back. And it seems like such a long time ago, and yet it passed by in the blink of an eye, you know. So we had no choice. I had to pack up my microphones and my digital recorder and go down to the embassy, uh, Ireland House, as it's well known and have a word with them. So we booked a little bit of time last week in what is a very busy schedule as he was preparing to hand over to his successor, more of whom anon, and he was having his final meetings with Team Ireland who are located in the house there and uh, and talking to them and debriefing everybody and passing things back to the Ministry for Foreign Affairs and that kind of thing. But we sat down and we had a good old chinwag and it's the measure of the man, uh, and I'll say more about this after this conversation, that you know in the beginning before we started he was going, okay, we had a long discussion about okay should we mention names or not because if i mention names somebody's going to get left out you know so if your name was left out of this here it's probably because i was kicking him under the table lads because he was naming too many people but that is as i say the measure of the man he wanted to express his gratitude to absolutely everybody from the people in the gaa clubs to spuds and sill the swedish irish society the business community the state agencies the whole lot and if i had to let him he would have sat there and doing a roll call and everybody answering on show but i couldn't be doing that because it wouldn't make for much of a podcast much and all as we all like to hear our names on this thing every now and again. So uh, here it is anyway. I will be back a little bit afterwards. There's one or two little bits of housekeeping that will come after this. But this is it. The exit interview. Once more with feeling. The final time. Not necessarily the final time. We, we will have him back on again if we have the chance. But for now, Austin Gormley, for the last time, on the Irish in Sweden podcast. Take it away, sir. <laughs> Austin Gormley, the exit interview, as it has been called. And we always know uh, when somebody is appointed to come to work here that it's a sort of a limited thing, and yet it always seems to come as a surprise for us. But could we just go back to when you heard that you were going to be posted to Sweden? Uh, how did you receive that information? What did you know about Sweden, about the Irish community here, that kind of thing? Exit interviews remind me of my old job in HR. I feel like I get a bit nervous, all right. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, you're still staying in the generals. Yeah, We're not no, firing that's you. That's true. I'm not fired. That's good. Um, yeah, well, listen, uh, truth be told, I, I didn't know a huge amount, except that I had been here. I've told some people that uh, that I had been here in 1982 as a teenager. Um, I came with my grandmother. It's another story, but she was involved in adult education, building a group across to a place uh, near Halstavik in uh, near Uppsala. And uh, yeah, we spent a couple weeks there and uh, you know summer school so they were quite interested even as a 14 year old and us talking about Ireland at the time and we were talking about Sweden and they were talking about Northern Ireland and all of that that kind of sparked a little interest in me in, in politics maybe or in the, yeah. the, war, or the, the world of foreign affairs and uh, we went out into the forest and cooked nettle soup and uh, we went out on kayaks as well out into the, one of the uh, little bays there as well a great sense of freedom so I had a very positive image of Sweden from, from, from those days in 1982 all the way back uh, but hadn't been to Sweden since mm. uh, then. So, of course, I'm familiar with Sweden and you know what Sweden represents and you know, member of the European Union. I remember them joining the European Union uh, just after, uh, just before I was in Brussels in '96. In they joined in '95. Um, so familiar with, with Sweden in, in, in broad terms um, and with all the positive things of Sweden. But from that time of, you know, being here as a young person, I suppose, I had a very positive image. And funnily enough, I had a sense then, and it might have been a sixth sense that I would be back 
back someday, but never thought I'd be back as ambassador of Ireland. Did you? Yeah, you got yeah, that idea. That genuinely, yeah. genuinely. Um, I, I imagine an awful lot had changed both in Ireland and in Sweden from 1982 to was it 2000? It was 2020 you arrived here, yeah. was it? Yeah, it's yeah. amazing to think that three years have gone already. Yeah. Um, you arrived pretty much as the greatest global pandemic for a century had broken out. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that didn't exactly live up to your expectations. How do you go about? creating relationships, settling in, talking to people, networking, because these are all the things that you're great at. And yet, okay, Sweden wasn't as locked down as other countries in the world, but you must have been limited by that in the beginning, were you? Yeah, very much so. Uh, You know, we did some... Good stuff online, I would say. You know, I was just thinking there uh, around uh, Bloomsday, mm. uh, we went out on the water, hired a boat, and uh, we had Quilty and Spuds and Sill uh, filming um, Molly Siliquay and other things to mm. music. Um, so we did some innovative things and tried to overcome those barriers a little bit. And I know the Chamber and SAS, uh, you know, were active online uh, at online seminars and the rest. But for us and for me coming in, yeah, it was definitely a challenge. I mean, when I was making my courtesy calls, I, I met the Minister Minister at the time, uh, Linda and Linda uh, online, you know, I met senior officials online and people in think tanks, etc. I would say, you know, you can manage to click and create a connection uh, maybe in 50% of time mm. uh, of the time but um, but but yeah it was kind of I, I would describe it as uh, it was a it was muted it was like a dial down yeah. and and, a, and it's a small problem just given the, the challenges that people faced at the time and all of the uh, all of the health issues that people had and mental health issues as well. But um, but for us, I guess, uh, when you come in as an officer into an embassy or as ambassador, the first 100 days are important and the personal connections are vital to that. So mm. it definitely did stymie that to some extent. Mm. But it was remarkable then again, I'd, for example, the Swedish-Irish Society, you know, uh, we didn't have an opportunity to meet for the first six months at least. Mm. But when we did and when we started getting back up and running, it was like a butterfly crystallizing, you know, th- yeah. things just emerged yeah. uh, again. Uh, and you could really see the strength of the of, of the community that was there in the background, you know. Mm. Uh, I'd say I would say it was mid-2021, the latter half of 2021. But it was at that time that we started coming back, I guess, to yeah. something resembling normality. The St. Patrick's Day reception, uh, the official reception and St. Patrick's Day event in, in uh, parade in 2022 was really the first big public yeah. uh, event, the parade, and then the reception, the first big diplomatic event uh, post-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Did, you, did you find that when you finally got to meet people like Anna Linda, like the people that you would deal with in diplomatic circles, you've, you've met them online in Teams or Zoom or that kind of thing. When you finally get to shake their hand, does the dynamic in those personal relationships change? Because that is one of the things about diplomacy. The reason that you're in country and the reason that we're delighted to have a Swedish embassy in Ireland again is because of this sort of face-to-face meetings and that they can be more effective. Did you find that or was it just continuing on the same vein, so to speak? No, I think I, I think it is different. And, you know, particularly like Zoom and online is fine for maintaining relations, as we say. You know, if I know you mm. met a couple of times, um, you get a sense of somebody was sitting face to face and yeah. just the nonverbal reactions and the little jokes and the asides mm. and what you say going out the door, etc. Yeah. you know, which might be important, you know, which you don't really get to do on Zoom. So yeah. so I had a sense with some people I clicked, you know, you click online and I clicked in, in person. Uh, but with others, uh, I thought I clicked in one sense 
and it didn't quite yeah translate yeah. Uh, and the other way around so so no it's not the same and i think um that's why hopefully we won't be going out of a job anytime soon you know personal relationships <laughs> exactly. don't count but no this is the thing as long as you can sit across the table from people you yeah. can find something to talk about how did you find the swedes because you had some experience in them from 1982 and i was just thinking that the time that you were here would have been the year after the hunger strikes when there was a completely different view of ireland then yeah. but when you come back to sweden in 2020 um sweden has joined the eu ireland was already in it in 1982 when you were there um how did you find them to deal with did you find them easy to do business with did you find them open warm encouraging did you did they were they standoffish were they embarrassed that they didn't have an embassy in dublin at the time yeah, a lot of questions there, Phil. Um, you've touched on a lot of things there. <laughs> yeah, you walk away. I'll just sit yeah. here for half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, interesting. A friend of mine who was posted here, say, 30 years ago, uh, said that uh, maybe in the 80s, 90s, the image of Ireland was of more traditional Catholic mm. Ireland, let's say, or of the Republic, you know, mm. uh, tradition bound. Uh, but that has changed. I think the perceptions of Ireland have, have changed. And when I was here in 82, it was very much the questions around the troubles and, mm. you know, and what does peace look like? like and what is this thing about Catholics and Protestants etc but that has changed and you know the social change in Ireland has a lot to do with that and we talk about marriage equality the lifting of the divorce ban abortion etc and uh, and LGBTI rights you know um, in a way and of course that that's the Irish story the um, remarkable uh, social transformation and in a way we look much more like Sweden or the Nordics we say mm. than we did in 1982 yeah. uh, you know and, and I guess yeah so, so, so in a way we're very aligned and I can see it in policy terms, obviously in foreign policy terms in terms of what our values are. We talk about this, but it's real, it's genuine. Mm. Uh, Swedes, um, open, yeah, certainly direct, I would say. Um, you know, not as much as small talk uh, mm. as, as we have. Yeah, in the sense that you need to get to business reasonably quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think of Ireland, I think of a series of conversations. Uh, you, 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 conversations, the thread that binds us together. Yep. In Sweden, there isn't quite the same glue in, in that sense, you know. Mm. But I think the Swedes, you know, they're serious-minded people, and when they make commitments, they live up to it. You know, mm. it's, what, it's what I found. A huge openness and warmth towards Ireland mm. across the board. Again, we're so privileged, you know, to represent, and I include you in the Irish community, uh, Presenting our country abroad because there is an open door and there's an immediate spark in response from most people who know Ireland yeah. uh, when they hear where you're from and who you're representing. You know, um, so I think that that's that 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 that's very that's very positive. Um, sometimes maybe there's a little bit of a sense of, well, you know, we're aligned, we're like-minded, so we don't need to work mm. the relationship quite as much. And I guess part of our messaging has been, you know, to get more ministers across, more officials across, more people-to-people -people exchanges so that we don't take each other, you know, that, that we we invest in the relationship, that mm. we don't take it for granted in any, in, in any way. And, um, yeah, and I, and I think there is still a big appetite. I think there's more to be done in terms of deepening those relationships. Yeah. It's amazing that the, those things that you mentioned, like the, so the modernising of the old Catholic Ireland that yeah. has resonated so much here, because they were often the things that people found hardest to understand when they talked to, to me about abortion or the way that things had been previously in Ireland. And it's sometimes you wonder, I remember reporting on these things for Sveilis Radio and this kind of thing, and you wonder, is this making any difference at all? But it appears that, you know, when people know about these things, that they do find something to relate to. Uh, just as an aside, right, you mentioned uh, ministers, face-to-face -face meetings, bringing over officials from Ireland. Is it very difficult to brief them? Or do you have a sort of a, an A4 page? You go here, read that in the plane, and you're pretty much up to speed, you know? Because we've had a lot of ministers over during your three years here, despite the pandemic. 
Yeah, um, and again, we've actually put a, quite a bit of effort into briefing ministers uh, exactly for that reason. Again, an opportunity, I guess, to get them a little bit more aware of where the potential lies here. Mm. For example, in green transition in that area, Minister yeah. Ryan is very keen, as you know, uh, particularly in the offshore potential and linking um, offshore uh, renewable energy sources to the grid where we have some expertise actually which mm. we're offering to Sweden you know so it's an, always an opportunity with ministers visit to expose them to the, where those opportunities lie they know that it lies in digitization they know that it lies in high-tech construction uh, that financial services as well in delivering automation into the uh, automobile sector and mm. big companies like Volvo etc uh, but it's important in any case, that ministers come and, and see for themselves. And we have invested resources, in fairness, into the region. We have embassies in every every uh, Nordic country, with the exception of Iceland, and we had the Taoiseach in Iceland recently, actually. Mm. Uh, and, of course, Enterprise Ireland has been reinforced, as you know, in the region, and Port Beer here and TI. So it's important that ministers get exposure to that, to understand how important these markets are to us as well, mm. and how important it is politically, as I say, that we don't, that neither we nor the Swedes or any other country take the relationship for granted so you've got to continue to to work it and what i've probably been doing in the recent years is we have a nordic strategy and we've been trying to consolidate uh, a little bit those links and make sure that we've got programmed visits at all levels ministerial official and we're building also an officials exchange program yeah. knowledge exchange among key officials and ministries yeah this is one of the great sort of achievements of your time here remember wasn't it simon coveney who uh, who announced the nordic strategy one yeah. day i remember i think it was on teams because it's probably still at the end of the pandemic there you know That's right. and thinking that this joined up thinking was something that was brilliant not just for ireland yeah. but also for sweden was there anything about the swedes that surprised you that you didn't learn in your trip here in 1982 that you sort of found out when you started to work with them and, you know, things started to tie out a little bit after the pandemic. Yeah, but I guess we've always been impressed by Swedish ingenuity, you know, and uh, innovation and, you know, and IKEA and Volvo and the engineering prowess, you know. Far too much Eurovision uh, success. Eurovision uh, <laughs> creativity, you know, and Swedish branding in a way. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose what surprised me, I think I mentioned this before, I mean, in a sense, we have a social democratic kind of perspective on Sweden, you know, big mm. state and the rest of it. The privatisation of education, for example, is something of a surprise. Somebody who's not been yeah, as yeah. exposed, not following Sweden. Uh, even in the healthcare, it was interesting to debate around privatisation uh, of uh, care homes as well. Yeah. As well. Decentralisation, I don't think, you know, you're not necessarily aware of just how much decentralisation there is in Sweden mm. compared to Ireland because we're highly centralised, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of how, how we're structured. Um, there's a bit of paradox. There are also paradoxes in every country, you know, but this idea that, like, the Swedes are very entrepreneurial, they're hardworking, uh, great startup uh, communities here, um, as I say, brilliant engineers, etc. Um, achieved a huge amount, I guess, you know, and of course it was a relatively poor country as well yeah, yeah. at the beginning of the last century. Um, but yet, they've got this work-life balance, I've spoken about, this work-life balance piece, you know, mm. where, you know, now, I, I, they won't, you know, it's hard to reach people, yeah. even senior business people, senior officials, etc., they take that part of life seriously, I mm. guess, you know, the need to break and uh, the family, the balance with family and friends, between work and family and friends, you know. So that's a kind of paradox and something, again, something I think we could try to emulate a little bit. Mm. I think we've imported a little bit of the, the US work hard, play hard, but play hard tends to, you know, we're squeezing uh, more and more maybe into, you know, less and less time in a, in, in a sense. And all people are very pressed in, yeah. in, in Ireland. Um, so, yeah, I mean, lots to learn. We always talk about the Nordic model 
and as I say, the social dimensions, health, education. But Sweden and other countries have their own challenges as well in dealing with migration and integration. Mm. And I think we, yeah, we, we have to study that as well mm. and uh, learn from the downside as well, the upside. And I think Sweden, and there's an acknowledgement, can learn from Ireland as well. For example, on the migration side, yeah. uh, you know, in, in handling of asylum seekers and how we treated them and uh, also how they were integrated across the country yeah. or, originally, there may be some lessons uh, in this direction as well for uh, for Sweden. Mm-hmm. And it's really much a, sort of a, a hot-button topic politically as well, the fact that you want to get people in, if you're going to offer them international protection, but you also want to make them sort of contributing members of society as yeah. fast as possible, and how do you yeah. do that? Yeah. And uh, I think that the GEA is obviously the solution to all these things. But <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's that kind of fabric of Irish society, which is mm-hmm. very interesting, that sense of the community. And interestingly, I've spoken to somebody who uh, is a trade unionist here, mm-hmm. and, you know, Sweden provides for its people very effectively, as you yeah. know, living here uh, socially. Um, yeah, the protections are strong, uh, and it's a particularly excellent place to think to to, to have children, uh, yeah. particularly young children, the care that they provide. But but yet, is something slightly lost in all of this in, in terms of the community, the importance of family, community, etc., and that kind of strand that we have in Irish society that we saw kicking in during COVID as well, where people were looking out for each other, looking out for older people, mm. uh, looking out for people in the community who might be a little bit vulnerable. We saw it in a downturn as well, where I think Ireland changed a little bit, yeah. uh, you know, a post-Celtic tiger. So... We can learn from things in, in both directions. The other thing that surprised me a little bit about Sweden coming here is the attachment to traditions, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and whether it's Midsummer, which is, this, you know, yeah. uh, slightly crazy festival, <laughs> <laughs> which I fully partook in this year, uh, you know, to, to San Lucia, which is beautiful. Um, but also the, uh, you know, the festivals in between, uh, these old tra- Christian traditional festivals uh, mm. that, that people still have an attachment to. So that blend of, you know, modern... Uh, innovative, dynamic society, but that also that that attachment to the more traditional values. Yeah. You know? well, it's how how the, the passing of the year is marked by these different holidays: yeah. uh, Walpurgis Eve, yeah. Walburn yeah. in Swedish, Midsummer, Easter is still celebrated yeah. despite the fact that nobody goes to church here. Yeah. Very, very Christmas and all these things, you know. And now uh, I think the great Brian Burns from County Wicklow was trying to make something out of Samhain, which is like you know Halloween basically. Yeah. But that was previously celebrated here as, as All Souls. So you know Brian went around the places and put on music festivals and that. But uh, I found a few years ago, I don't know if I was telling you before, that uh, at the St. Patrick's Day Parade, a Swedish person stopped me as we were walking and said, could you guys not organise our sort of National Day Parade? Because the National Day has only become a thing here in recent yeah, years yeah. on the 6th of June. So maybe that might be outsourced to the Irish in, in future years, you know. Um, of all these things that, that you've done, you mentioned there the Nordic strategy, you mentioned the things that um, you, you were able to set up. What are the learnings that you take with you? Because you're a man of great experience, right? From coming here in 1982 to various diplomatic postings, the things you did in human research resources for the Department of Foreign Affairs, the, the passport card, which I have in my pocket and saved me in Oslo this summer. I'll tell you that story offline. <laughs> I was actually told on the podcast. Um, were they the sort of, was there any sort of big learnings that you will leave here and go to your next post with? Hmm, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it is surprising in a way that, um, you know, for a European country, just how it, it a little bit of echoes of China, how there is a kind of vision here, you know, the reindustrialization of northern Sweden, for mm. example, investing in green steel, the major wind projects up there, well, the largest uh, 
uh, onshore wind farm yep. in Europe uh, in uh, in Norbotten. Um and of course the big mining companies are there as well who you know they think in 10 15 20 year cycles anyway mm. but that sort of longer term planning the infrastructure the way urban spaces are organized I think is very Im- Im- mm. impressive and we can I think again that's something we can draw on maybe mm. a little bit more uh, from in Ireland um I suppose yeah, in terms of lifestyle, uh, don't sit in a, an ice hole for longer than 10 seconds. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that sounds that like a hard one lesson right there. <laughs> you know, but it's, it is that kind of how to deal with the seasons in a way, you yeah. know, on a personal level. I think <laughs> Swedes are more connected to nature than, than maybe even we are, except well, farmers are very connected, obviously, in Ireland yeah. and fisher, fishers, but um, but they're very connected to nature and they and they follow the seasons and they have tactics to, to, to deal with them. You know, this I, I like the phrase of no, no such thing as bad weather just bad clothing you know yeah uh swedes adopt and they adjust and and you know these little again yeah i know how to light up my uh you know we know how to light up the house in winter now you know yeah, yeah. fairy lights and the rest of it and uh, the importance of blackout curtains and uh, you know in the summer in summertime. Uh, yeah so it's it's kind of um yeah there's still that connectivity i suppose because it's a little bit more extreme let's mm. say climate wise you know yeah. and there's there's things to be certainly uh, to be learned to be learned there um what have i learned um well i mean I, we can talk a little bit about this phil i mean i you know what surprised me as well genuinely was the um was the community uh, it was the community here in the irish community and just how strong it is mm. and it's been going for years obviously and you were involved in you know, and setting up the ga club here but i think of the swedish irish society who's been, that's been here for 70 over 70 years you yeah know? but but and it's all down to to the individual people but that that was something like i've served in, in new york as you know and i've served in shanghai mm. and shanghai we had a great community there too but in a sense in shanghai you know you you pull together because it's a tricky place to live in and yeah. you know there's a lot of particular cultural barriers and challenges which you don't have in Sweden frankly mm. although it has its own you know it does take time to settle in here I'm sure but the, the fact that that, that was so strong again just reflects that attachment to Ireland I think and, and mm. the, the attachment to you know to our culture and our uh, and our values and Irish people want to come together um, so that was that's something I'll definitely uh, take with me um, and of course, you know, I've worked in terms of Ireland Inc. I've worked with state agencies before, you know, mm. in my overseas uh, postings. But we've had a great team here uh, with Enterprise Ireland and Board Bia, who are present here, uh, and TI, you know. Mm. So um, this is my first ambassadorial job. I mean, I was head of mission in Shanghai, but it's always a privilege to serve as ambassador. But that's absolutely dependent on the people around you. Yeah. Uh, and I did learn a little bit more about how we can work effectively together, mm. not just in Sweden, but also across the region. Mm. When you come in as that figurehead, as the ambassador, Ireland's representative in Sweden, and you have to lead a team of people, right? You, and fantastic people they are too. Um, how difficult is that for you to sort of parachute into the middle of it? And how do you deal with that? And again, I'm conscious of what you've, you've been involved in human resources in the Department of Foreign Affairs before. You've been head of mission in China. I would say that, you know, communities, there are Irish communities all over the world, but they can be very, very different from one another. You guys have a job to do, right? Hannah Fraser at uh, Enterprise Ireland, she has targets. Uh, Emar down below in the tourism world, she has targets too. Was that a difficult thing or was the, the team was sort of reasonably well sort of put together? So how easy was it or how difficult was it for you to involve yourself there? I, I had a great boss once, a uh, former ambassador, and I was in a small mission overseas. Well, I was in India at, at the time and uh, he came into the office and he, uh, it wasn't a big team, but he sat down with everybody and, uh, and said, you know, 
well, Phil, tell me about yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, what motivates you? What are you about? What do you want to achieve? You know, so it starts with the individuals and where they're coming from. You know, yeah. and of course, we all have our objectives and we work for Enterprise Ireland or the embassy or whatever it is. But I think it is important and, and it's something I did just tactically, you know, not to give too much away here. But, you know, mm. it's obvious maybe. But you sit down and uh, and you get to know people and you build relationships and, and build the team spirit. And on, on that, then everything else comes after that. And that applies to the community organisations as well. Mm. Um, and it applies as well to the diplomatic community. So typically we would go out, I would uh, make what we call courtesy calls on all EU ambassadors here. But I try to reach, say, 50 percent of, uh, of ambassadors to go and call on them in person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and and that's how you create your network and build. And, uh, you know, I'll be doing that again shortly as well. That's how you build and rebuild, you know. Yeah. I don't need to tell you. You know you're a, a, an expert at this. <laughs> 24 uh, hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> but but what helps, though, in, uh, not to go on too much about strategy, but if you have it down on paper to say, well, look, collectively, the government has decided these are the priorities. This is where Enterprise mm. Ireland fits in. This is where the community organisations fit in. This is what the embassies are going to be doing. That does help. And uh, as one of my colleagues in Dublin said, um, who's in charge of resources, he said, you're not going to get any resources until you have a strategy and you've got an agreement about what you're trying to achieve. So you need a strategy, the resources follow, and you need to build a personal relationship and, and uh, the team w will deliver it. And I have to say, we have an excellent team at the embassy as well. They've really been first class and we've been building it over the last three years. So that's part of the legacy, hopefully, for the exit interview. It's, it really <laughs> is. Like I mean, you get top marks on that, right? From the Irish and Sweden podcast, you're getting top marks on that. <laughs> Such fantastic people. And it's it's one thing to have fantastic people. I was listening to John Cleese, the great British comedian and, uh, and scriptwriter, And he was saying that, you know, sometimes when you're working with people, people develop and change and things that worked very well before because people's ambitions change and then all of a sudden but it just seems to be brilliant how everybody continues to work together and they develop and they get better in their fields but they can still work together for Enterprise Ireland or often Enterprise Ireland with TI or Board B if they're having an event and that kind of thing and it's just been superb to watch all together Yeah and it's that sort of sense of Ireland like the like I remember one of our former Taoiseach used to talk about the green jersey but it is that isn't it you know yeah. it's that sort of sense of pride of who we are and where we're from you know uh, and it is a remarkable network I can say that to you Phil like mm. I I was just thinking of examples. Um, the uh, Ukrainian ambassador to Sweden and Ukraine, as you know, is a country at war mm -hmm. and the Ukrainian people have rallied behind uh, the nation and their community overseas. He turned to me at our at the gala dinner for the Chamber of Commerce uh, last uh, December and said, because he was invited as guest of honour, uh, and he said, uh, how wonderful it is to have an Irish community, a business community like this. Mm. Uh, and this is from the Ukrainian ambassador to, to Sweden. And the Singaporean, one of the biggest compliments I got as well was the Singaporean ambassador, uh, sorry, consul general to Shanghai, asking me as the Irish consul general, how do we manage to secure permissions from the Shanghai government to have a St. Patrick's Day parade <laughs> in, in downtown Shanghai? And how did we turn the Pearl Tower in Shanghai green for St. Patrick's Day because normally it costs $50,000 to do that. Uh, <laughs> Irish diplomacy in a nutshell, my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's incredible that, like, you know, with, with, with so few resources, the things that you can do if you have those networks and yeah. if people have that opinion of you as somebody worth doing business with, yeah. if you have that sense of community that makes it worth it for them as well, yeah. of course places like Shanghai are going to say yes to this. Would they be the one, I mean, everybody wants to be on the 6-1 news that day, you know? Yeah. Um, 
the call is always going to come. It's usually, I think postings like yours are usually about three years. Is that, now, I mean, there's nothing set in stone, right? But um, because I was sort of surprised when I heard you were moving on, I was going, surely he has another year left. But no, the three years had run. How, how does, does the decision get made that it's time for you to move on? Where are you going to go? And I know that there's an awful lot of uh, politics that uh, aren't, that you're not involved in in this decision. You just get told, right, this is the next thing for you. So, but how does that process work generally? I, I wish I knew. <laughs> Maybe I Simon better... Colby sitting in the hat just pulling names out. Like, you know. I, I, either I've done too much, way too much, or way too little. Uh, <laughs> um, but look, it, it's a decision. It's a decision uh, for government, um, you know, recommendation of the Minister for Foreign Affairs, um, the appointment at ambassadorial level. Uh, and I guess in your career, generally, there are certain markers in terms of skills or that you develop over time. And I, I won't tell you how long I've been at this, but uh, quite a long time. So, so uh, they will typically, they meaning, uh, you know, the Secretary General, obviously the department will have a, an input into any of these decisions as well. We, we look typically at the kind of skills and experience that people have uh, at any one time for particular roles. It's very complex because, and I was involved in this, as you say, because we now have 102 missions and mm. we've expanded foreign service by over one third over the last four years. Um, and we, so we're continually making decisions and allocate, well, opening new missions and where to open, et cetera, but also allocating matching people to positions. Um, so again, it's like everything else, it's just knowing the people, knowing their skills, language skills are important to it as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't always, the department doesn't always get it right. Uh, normally for postings, officers can express a preference. And in the old days, the joke was, you know, if uh, there are 20, 20 posts on the, on the list, you might get number 19 or <laughs> 20. <laughs> And that's foreign affairs. You've got to be flexible. Uh, but these days we make every effort. I can say we as, uh, you know, the management team in the department make every effort, uh, not at ambassadorial level. I'm talking now below ambassadorial level to ensure that people get their preferences because obviously they're mm-hmm. only going to be happy if they get uh, if they're assi- get an assignment that they're interested in, motivated to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, and of course family dynamics as well are all uh, part of the mix. So. But would that not mean then that, you know, there's probably loads of people interested in going and working in Washington <laughs> and less so in India and, and in certain places in West Africa? Well, you see, Phil, we have some tricks on that you know we now incentivize a little bit the hardship posts so uh, some of the officers if they are sent to uh, some of the, the tougher assignments uh, do get a higher preference then for their next assignment yeah. uh, so the ways of dealing with that and also the officers can see if you're dealing with uh, frankly um, you know uh, significant budgets aid budgets in sub-Saharan Africa significant complex consular uh, issues etc mm. um, and uh, in challenging environments you know that has a value uh, above and beyond maybe the more obvious postings you're, you're talking about. I mean, they're just, you know, we have multilateral streams, uh, what we call multilateral in the UN, U- the European Union, the OEC, etc. Mm. And we have bilateral streams of a huge variety and people can see uh, through those who've been promoted over time that it's not just the location or the bright lights, let's say, it's the quality of the work as well. That's, yeah. a, that's important, you know. And for us, servicing the community, uh, consular services, uh, Irish citizens in trouble, uh, visa services, uh, the community, building the community relationship and all that, that their core mm-hmm. uh, to what we do as a department. And if you want to be successful, I would say, it's my opinion, over time, you need to have gone through your 
apprenticeship in that sense, you yeah. know, in terms of understanding what we do uh, as, a, as a department on the ground, you know. And, and we've got a huge variety then of opportunities in that sense to grow yourself personally and grow professionally. So that's my that's my advertisement uh, for any budding third secretary people want to join the diplomatic service, Phil. I tell you, they'll be signing up like the new time. I can think of, I can actually <laughs> name names here, but I'm not going to do it, you know. Um, what do you consider your greatest achievements here? You mentioned the team, uh, you mentioned the, the community there, and are there any regrets at all that maybe, you know, things that you would have loved to have done that maybe the pandemic got in the way of? Yeah, well, uh, achievements, well, look, I, I'm not, that's not for me to say, uh, you know, what Ever the achievements the were. Also, yeah, no, no, definitely not. And I did talk about the team. We've just had a team session there. It is genuinely built around uh, everybody here in the mission uh, who are really delivering above and beyond. And interestingly, what they said, I didn't say it, it was uh, the consular services, excellence in, excellence in consular services, where we think mm. uh, we make a difference, you know, Um Passion was a word used, actually. I hope you see that, that people actually like their jobs and their passions and oh, yeah. what they do, you know. Uh, and community was there as well, you know. Um, above and beyond, look, I could describe a lot of activity, I guess, in, in, in recent years, like COVID, as we said, the dial was down for obvious reasons. So it's really over the last two years that we've kick-started again. Uh, and my, success, my predecessors uh, have done a lot of work, of course, in building that base. Um, I guess the strategy is in place. We've had a, a lot of ministerial visits, particularly around the EU presidency, as you know, and this is activity, but it's important, as you said, in terms of exposing Sweden. Mm. A lot of uh, official level exchanges as well. And we have structures in place now for official level uh, exchanges uh, with, with, with Sweden. The business relationship has expanded. And again, this is uh, the state agencies drive this, Irish business drives this, and we're there in support, as you know, for office openings and the rest in Yevla yeah, yeah. and other places. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, the growth rates are, are very high and, and the agencies, Enterprise Ireland, uh, Tourism Ireland, Board BIA, uh, and IDA as well, are based out of Frankfurt, are performing uh, very well here. Um, and, and again, the Irish community, I would say what's been notable as well is just that dynamic between the businesses that you visited as well, like, uh, you know, the big players on the construction side, for mm. example, and the subcontractors and their relationship with community organisations. And that was part of your idea. We did bring them together in a room with the community organisations. And I think there's a bit of a dynamic going there yep. in terms of how we can think more strategically. So I just want to pay tribute to you, Phil, for, for that. Because that is, that is something I would bring with me, actually, mm. uh, to, to other places. And we're doing other things like civil service exchanges as well. We're starting those programs because we have a new officer now in the embassy thanks to Nordic Strategy um, who is uh, is a regional officer so she will work on a number of projects including civil service exchanges higher education and research exchanges as well mm. collaborations uh, very important you know uh, th those kind of collaborations the cultural side anyway you're familiar I won't go into the detail but you know we've done quite a bit on the on the cultural side including uh, promotion of literature uh, Irish literature and jo Joyce in particular yep. uh, and as you know we had a Joyce uh, essay competition which was really successful and uh, we'd some budding, budding uh, writers that emerged Fantastic. from that, you know, uh, and that's something to, to build on. And, uh, and as well, St. Bridges Day, uh, we will be doing other things as well in Gothenburg and the regional cities. But look, the community organisations, can I just say something yeah. about, about them? Yeah, sure, yeah, just of course, say, yeah. Yeah, because it, look, it, it has been, um, I'd say, it's certainly a highlight for me. Um, and I suppose it, it is the... You know, it's the it's the commitment, it's the passion around St Patrick's Day. It's it's what they're bringing to the to the table. It's the cooperation between them mm -hmm. as well that we see emerging. Uh, also, uh, and I think it's um, 
it's also the outreach. And one thing that we've done a little bit of work on, as you know, in the last couple of years, is Malmo and Gothenburg yeah. and, you know, significant Irish communities who you've interviewed key players down there. Uh, and I'm delighted that the SIS, Swedish Irish Society, with support, the Immigrant Support Programme, is now setting up a branch, have set up a branch in, in Malmo. And I know the Chamber are looking at likewise for uh, Gothenburg. Yep. So that sense of, I think, going down there, some of the communities said to me that, you know, uh, they may have been exaggerating, but Irish ambassadors hadn't traditionally visited uh, the community yeah, yeah. and I think it is important and I, I am saying that to my successor that we can continue to build uh, that sense of connectivity that it's not over, we're not overly Stockholm based and Yevla of course has been fantastic as well thanks to the Irish companies there yeah, too yeah. we have a GA club there uh, in, in Yevla too and a good outreach to the, to the community uh, to the, uh, the, municipal, the municipal government I just want to mention as well the Irish language um, we have an Irish study centre in Uppsala University as you know Gregory Darwin's there doing fantastic work with a guy called Stefan Berlin who I think you know uh, but Stefan is based in a place called Skara and they had a pop-up Gaeltok recently uh, yeah. in in Skara in southern Sweden. So it, there's something very particular going on, uh, I would say, in Skara that, that, that warrants... Stefan speaking Donegal Irish yeah, to anybody who listens. It's yeah, fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he's here at St. Patrick's Day as well, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, and look, and tribute, all tribute uh, to Colin Melquist and the Swedish Irish Society, uh, you know, also the leadership, uh, Declan Caulfield and the the. the the chamber as well, and uh, to Connor Droney in the GAA and his predecessor Suzanne and others uh, who are really doing a huge amount of work on a voluntary basis, mm. you know, day in day out uh, to keep our to keep the presence to welcome new people, make sure they're part of that uh, wider sense of being Irish in Sweden, mm. and also reaching out importantly to the Swedish host community and and being and a genuine a genuine bridge, I guess, between Ireland and Sweden. So. Yeah, I'm very proud of what they've done and the little bit that we've done as an embassy as well to encourage that. Mm. It's been amazing when you think of, I was just thinking that um, last week in the podcast we had Michelle Cotter who came over from Clare and has set up Camogie. You have John Carroll running the Viking yeah. Gales for the whole region, you know. And I think before we, we turned on the microphones, we were going, Jesus, if you start mentioning names here, you'll, uh, you'll always end up leaving somebody out. But I know how much, how closely you've worked with these different organisations and these different people, day in up in Yavla coaching the GEA team or what have you, you know. Exactly. And, and yeah, you know, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely, and I say in uh, Malmo as well. Peter Miller, who's been down there as well, I know, in the with, with the SS, Ian Maloney, who I met in uh, Gothenburg. He's a great uh, character, and, great uh, photographer as yeah, well. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Paul, yeah. and Paul Curley and Michelle, as you say, and others. Kim Sholand as well, I should say, as well in the, in the chamber. Look, I'm sorry, I, I say we we've only oh, been we could just that read route. a list of names. There could be a <laughs> yeah. roll call yeah, here for going yeah, around yeah, the yeah, podcast, exactly. but, but it's great to hear. Um, I, I'm not sure what date you're flying off now. We won't get into that because we'll only start crying if that no, happens. No, no. Fair upon farewells. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, parting is such sweet sorrow, as the yes. said. Um, tell me a little bit about your successor. Yeah, well, my successor is Barbara Jones. Uh, and uh, Barbara is uh, a very distinguished uh, and accomplished uh, colleague. Um, she has long experience in the, in the department, but not just in our department. She's served as well in the Department of the Taoiseach and the Department of Enterprise, Training and Employment. Um, Barbara will bring all that experience to bear, um, including her experience with the diaspora and Irish communities because she was Consul General in New York um, yeah, for four years, I believe. And subsequently, she was ambassador to Mexico, but also a number of Central American countries. So she uh, she has both the community mm-hmm. uh, dimension, the deep knowledge of Irish American, what works and what doesn't. And she has the regional, she mm-hmm. ran a regional uh, network, if you like, from Central, Central America. Barbara's also very vested in 
invested and was very invested in uh, the whole Northern Ireland peace process. She's former head of the Secretariat, the British Irish Secretary of Belfast, mm. and of the North South Ministerial Co uh, Council in Armagh, and Secretary of the So, so again on on British Irish relations, that's always of interest to Sweden as well. Yeah, she's deeply. Um, deeply experienced investor there. That sounds like somebody that I can't wait to interview but she won't tell me anything because no, all the interesting no. stuff happens but, behind but, the scenes. But yeah, she's also good crack, I would say. That's, <laughs> that's but, she, Can she play corner forward for the camogie team? You know? <laughs> Maybe uh, not quite that. What, what will, what's the process now? She will have to present her credentials to the king here at some point in that. Is, she will that? present her credentials once we have a date and uh, once credentials, so she will bring what we call letters of credence from the president, uh, Michael D. Higgins, and will present them formally to the king. Uh, and then she will officially take up her duties as ambassador um, to the Kingdom of Sweden. Um, so it's quite a formal ceremony. Uh, now, I had a paired back version during COVID. Yeah. Um, but you'll have the marching bands and uh, she will be taken, as are all other ambassadors, in a in a, a state carriage, uh, horse-drawn carriage, to the palace. Unfortunately, it's not open to the public, I think. Uh, you could come and wave uh, Irish and <laughs> Swedish flags. Um, but it's, it's quite a special ceremony actually and uh uh, she will be the 21st uh, Irish ambassador to Sweden. I think I was 20th arriving in 2020. Easy yeah. to remember. That's pretty easy to remember. Yeah. What should we do for her? What is she going to need from us as a community after she presents her credentials? How can we make her the start of her life in Sweden easier, do you think? I think she'll be asking what she could do for you. You know, I like That's the right question. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, was there anything that when you arrived in here, like when you're sitting here now, it's at the end of your tenure, going, I wish somebody had told me that in the very beginning or anything like that, that, you know, uh, that we could help with, you know, as we move forward, because obviously we want her to hit the ground running and we want her to continue the great work that you've been doing here. Yeah, no, I think I think it's, uh, well, I was just talking to her the other day and it is about continuity, I suppose, as yeah. well, and continuity of support for the community and everything you're doing on a voluntary basis, you know, and making sure, and like Phil, you and others have been great uh, in the sense of, you know, when people are in trouble here, it doesn't happen that often, but just to have that network again of support mm. is really valued to us. And just your insights and knowledge of Sweden, as you shared with me and others have shared with me, uh, uh, that's very important to us to be able to navigate Swedish culture, Swedish society. So if you could continue to act as a, a network of support for mm. the embassy and what it's trying to achieve, and, and the embassy will continue to support, and uh, and through the Emigrant Support Programme, of course, the Irish community organisation. So it's just that sense of us all working together for uh, for that higher purpose, I guess, yeah. you know, of deepening the relationship. And as I say, uh, it's already very warm. I, when you talk about achievements, by the way, the uh, and we're not directly responsible, although we did lobby as an Irish government, but the reopening of the of the Swedish embassy in Dublin is very significant, yeah. and that's opened since last February, as you know, and that gives us a big opportunity now, I think, to step it up uh, in the other direction. Yeah. And say Sweden, Sweden, Sweden to Ireland, and to be honest, we missed that relay, and we were very happy that the Swedish government uh, decided to reopen after over ten years' absence in Dublin. So that'll be a great relay, you know, and maybe you know, as Swedish, uh, you know, the, the Swedish community organisations emerge in Ireland. Uh, you know, as they get get stronger over time, that relay between Irish organisations, community organisations and the Swedes in Ireland, there could be something in that dynamic uh, mm. worth looking at, you know, as you do a little bit on the business side already. Um, but yeah, no, just, I would say she will get out, um, but uh, but we always appreciate as ambassadors, you believe it or not, the invitation uh, to throw in the ball, yeah. uh, the invitation to come to, and don't feel, I suppose, that you need to be overly formal, uh, of course, representing the country, but... Uh, uh, we're delighted to be invited. Um, yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter if it's gala dinners or a GEA yeah. tournament exactly. at nine in the morning in the rain. You yeah, know? well, well, 
any reason. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it was pouring rain. We were starting that very first tournament after COVID. I have one last question for you. The last time you left Sweden, 30, it took you 38 years to come back. Uh, do you reckon you'll be paying a visit here any of you sort of uh, with any fondness in the near future after this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got to do a bit more hiking and things of regret, as I say, is not maybe travelling as much, you know. I would like to get to Gotland and places like that and the West mm. Coast. The West Coast is the best, isn't it? Oh, the best uh, coast is the call Yeah, the yeah. best coast, yeah. I must say, I love Gothenburg and uh, that sort of area as well, you know. And Stockholm is spectacular. Uh, I mm. mean, again, the archipelago and getting out there. I only got to Sandham once. Yeah. I really regret that. I went over to Grinda recently is lovely. Um, my family weren't big on boat rides for whatever reason, so I'm going to come back. All right, don't worry, uh, and do some more exploring. Uh, and again, we have I've developed I've de- genuine friends here as well, you know. So mm. that's all. That's always a draw. But well, I'll be thinking of you from in the winter from South Africa uh, when we're at 25 degrees. Uh, my next posting. Well, well, look, they have Spotify, they have Apple Podcasts out there. Uh, on behalf of those who listen to the Irish and Sweden podcast, and on behalf of myself, I'd like to thank you for everything that you've done, and no doubt will continue to do for Irish communities around. The, board, uh, the role uh, the world good night on both her lot Philip and as I say thank you as well personally uh, for all that you've done both in the GA uh, more widely within the community and in creating this podcast and really linking people together and telling their stories and you've given me and others a great insight into what it is to be Irish uh, to be Irish overseas and uh, what it means to try and build bridges and friendships into the local communities and how you do that so thank you uh, for everything that you've done and and to the wider community and yeah and uh, you never know we might talk soon on the Irish and South Africa podcast there you go that could be your next project I'm not really sure what a diplomat does but that's why I came here to the foreign affairs to learn they deal a lot with people outside of the country with citizens or they do help with trade deals or other issues abroad I don't really know anything about it and that's why I came here the basic idea behind the programme is the belief, the conviction, really, that a diplomatic service should look like the people that it represents. And that in the future, we're going to have to be much more active in getting young people to think about a career in international relations. There you go, rounding off that interview with Ambassador Austin Gormley with a little clip from a Department of Foreign Affairs film from five years ago, from 2023, when they were running a project for school children and bringing them down to the, the headquarters of the Department of Foreign Affairs and basically doing what we've just done there, telling them all about the role as an ambassador, as a third secretary, as a second secretary, as a chef de mission, as whatever it is they call all these things they've got, I can't remember, deputy head of mission, to shut all the titles and everything else like that uh, but it is something that's well worth considering and for those of us who have children here in Sweden as well um, our kids have language skills and they have English and they have Swedish and they might have another foreign language on top of that as well right so it's actually open because all of our children are because if you have an Irish parent you're automatically an Irish citizen whether you hold a passport or not lads the passport is only the document but uh, yeah so they would be eligible for all these things they would be eligible to work in the Irish civil service so it's well worth thinking of if they do have an idea that that's something that they might like to do and uh, as the uh, the representative was saying there in the video he was saying that look we need to sort of you know almost sell this to young people as, as a career path 
But if you have any questions on that, I'm sure Aideen and Doreen and uh, the boys and girls working in the embassy now would be more than happy. Uh, I've talked to Marianne Bulger, who's now uh, the ambassador down below in the Middle East. I think it's to is it to Jordan and to Iraq that she's working at the moment. And of course, she had a very successful period here 10 or 12 years ago uh, as the third secretary of the deputy head of mission here. I can't remember what title she had. Uh, so it's yeah, there's a, a lot of information out there, but there's better people than me to be able to give that to you. Um, just on a personal note, uh, I think it's we've been so blessed, lads, with the people that we've had representing our country here in Sweden. Just the caliber of person that comes over that becomes an ambassador. It's not a job for everybody. It requires a tremendous amount of intelligence and skill and diplomacy and uh, the ability to hold your tongue, which is why I never got into it at all. And you know, they're just tremendous people altogether. And they can be very, very different. You can get some of them who are very sort of you know politically savvy, very very intellectual. Then you have people like uh, Austin, who's both politically savvy and very intellectual, but also has a very common touch as well and you know we get all these various different people and it's almost unfair to pick out one above the others but I have to say that in the unique situation that we've been in over the last few years with the pandemic and the changes and the fear that that caused in the beginning and then you know the way it changed everybody's behavior for a while and how it took us away from one another and all the things that we built up were in danger of falling apart again or this sense of, of unity that we built up in the Irish community which didn't really you know it, it has been shaky in the past you know but we managed to get to a very good place and the pandemic threatened all that and the reason that we're still as strong today as we were before the pandemic now is in thanks in no small part to Austin Gormley and I'd also like to say that it took a huge amount of bravery for him and for our embassy to hold out uh, the hand of friendship to our LGBTQ plus community as well right this is not an easy thing to do at this time right and they have been front row centre in terms of doing that they haven't backed down you know you can write with you like on their Facebook posts or on their Twitter posts or whatever but they haven't backed down and it's very very important to me that they stand by those members of our community at this time as well so I'd just like to express to him in this public forum how grateful I am to him for the work that he has done and to everybody on Team Ireland, to, to Hannah and to Tourism Ireland and to Bordbia and to the staff at the embassy, Tom Brennan, who's working there as well, processing applications, driving people around, Dorian, Aideen, there's so many brilliant people who are working there and have been working there for a long time and they do brilliant work and they really do deserve our gratitude and our support in any way we can. Uh, that is it for Austin Gormley. We will keep up with him. We'll check in with him. We'll let you know how he's getting on as well, right? Another fellow who deserves a little bit of our support, of course, is our good friend Graham Reggie Reynolds down in Örebro, still fishing away like an absolute madman. And he's part of the Swedish national fly fishing team, right? If you can, go search for Reggie Reynolds on Facebook, right? Or just go through my friend list, Philip O'Connor's friend list on Facebook and you find him. He has a GoFundMe on his page there because they're always looking for a few quid. So if you can throw in two or three hundred crowns to help them there, because I think they're going competing again now in the next few months and it takes an awful lot of time and energy and his wife Malena is fantastic uh, she looks after the family and that kind of thing and of course they run the, the Irish shop in Ottawa. it's an online store where you can get all your goodies uh, that you can't get in your standard Ica or your consumer, that kind of thing. Malena brings in stuff from Ireland that you can buy directly from them. But uh, if you can sponsor Reggie with a few bob as well, that would be brilliant because he's just a fantastic lad altogether. He has his finger in very many pies, but the fishing is a big thing. And it's actually a huge honour to have a, an Irish-born man representing Sweden in what is, like, and like, I didn't realise this until I commentated on an, events, on an event once, right? Fly fishing and pike fishing, these are hugely popular sports, right? It's amazing how popular these things are. So people 
people are paying attention and you know to have an Irishman in the Swedish national team really is a big thing so throw in a few bob if you can if there's a few bob left over that you haven't given to Reggie you can always throw it this way as I say mad for the inheritances here lads so if you have a few million that you, you, you need to leave to somebody like you know don't leave it to your cat right you can leave it to me you can go to patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm and pledge a five a month if you don't have any inheritance from me just yet or you can go to swish one two three two four two four one six six and I've said it before I will be sort of reaching out to businesses in the area in the near future now and the great Anthony Morrissey uh, who's living down below now in Gothenburg he's available for if you're looking for a marketing consultant or an events consultant or anything else like that I've actually enlisted Anthony to help me with growing this podcast and the Global Gale podcast and for the rest of the year probably we're going to be concentrating on this one and he's already been in touch with certain people on my behalf and he'll be in touch with more is don't you worry uh, as we try to develop this into a business because I'd love to make this into something that between this one and the Global Gale podcast which is on the same feed I'd love to make this into something that was viable not just for our community here in Sweden but also on a global scale so that I can spend more time doing it and more time bringing you stories from our community here and from Irish people around the, the globe there's only 70 million of us lads so I mean if I can't turn a shilling from the 70 million people that's a fairly big market now it has to be said so hopefully uh, I can do that but I need your help to do it so if you can't afford to support the podcast please share them right and when you share them um, or, or give it a review or whatever but particularly when you share them right it's great that people just share them directly on their Instagram story or Facebook or that kind of thing but if you can just throw a word in there and say oh, have you listened to this fella he had this person on or I thought this was good or here he is talking to our ambassador or whatever the, it has a huge effect right so when people publish something on LinkedIn and they refer to me or they tag me or whatever it gets 10 times the engagement as the online crowd call it right so it'd be brilliant if you could do that for me as well because now at a time of the year when people's habits are change should they might be looking for a new podcast they might be sick to the back teeth of free state with Dion Fanning and Joe Broly which you should also listen to because it's brilliant but they might be looking for something else and sure who knows that might be us here on the Irish in Sweden podcast listen I let you go right now but the next time I want to see most of you certainly the Stockholm crowd is with the boots under your arm come to Scarp next EP next Saturday I think it's at 12 o'clock lads and if you're there now or early it doesn't matter because we need a bit of the stretch and the warm up now if we haven't done that in all summer so I will see most of the Stockholm crowd there and for as for the rest of you I will see you on the 26th up in Yavla and uh, I'll be bringing the boots myself there and you can try and stop me I'll be trying to get myself out there in the pitch at all if I can and then as the uh, as the autumn comes in there I'm going to be in Lynch helping at the start of September and then I'll be down to Gothenburg and I'll probably be down to Malmo as well so if you have anybody with a story or if you have a story yourself that you want to tell me it could be about yourself, it could be about your job, it could be about your art, your sports team, your business. Get in touch, lads, and we'll fill the diary. We'll make life easy for me. We'll have a whole bunch of people to talk to right here on the Irish and Sweden podcast from now until Christmas. I will be back again next Monday with another podcast. Until then, my friends, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Good luck. Good luck.